Last Lord's Day, we began to unpack the response that should be ours as we consider the thought that the Creator of heaven and earth has revealed Himself to man. To put everything that we've seen together, there are benefits to knowing God, and there are dangers coming to those who do not know God. So then the question is, how should we live? What should we do if that is the case? And the answer that we saw, the only rational response is that we should then seek Him. Seek the Lord. As the the Scriptures say, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Now just as, by way of introduction, I want to read four Scriptures that we read last week just to just to connect us with what we read. I will not add comment. I just want you to hear them as a reminder of what we saw. Psalm 105, verses 4 and 5. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His wonders which He has done, His marvels and the judgments uttered by His mouth. Hosea 6.3 Let us know... Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. 2 Chronicles 15.2 The Lord is with you when you are with Him. If you seek Him, He will let you find Him. And Psalm 9 verse 10 Those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. We must seek the Lord. We must seek Him continually. It must be the the great endeavor of our lives. And we have His promise that if we seek Him, He will let us find Him. I attempted to define or explain this seeking after God as a turning of one's whole self toward God. And I use the illustration, I realize that this is two services now that I've used the illustration of uh, a firearm. Uh, But I use the illustration of the scope of a rifle being set on a target. When when the target is, is, when the scope is filled with the target, you... The, the, the direction of the bullet will go that way if everything is as it should be. And so also, when we are fully turned toward God in our thoughts and our affections and our desires, we will give ourselves to Him and we will find Him. Now, tonight we come to what is sort of the how-to of seeking the Lord. Last week I said seeking the Lord is not like a, a switch that we just flip I'll do this for a few minutes and turn it off. Turn it on, turn it on, turn it off. I said it's not like a, a word search or a crossword puzzle that we just go through a few little activities and therefore we have fully sought the Lord. It is a manner of life. Remember, it requires all your heart, the Bible says. You will, you will find me, the Lord said, when you seek me with all your heart. It's not just something that we, a little practice that we engage in. It requires the whole man, and yet there are some activities or patterns of life, things to do, which will be the logical outworking when we have fully turned ourselves. 
toward God. There are some things that we have to do. As with seeking or searching with anything, you want to go to the place where you think that thing will be found. If a child goes missing, the search parties will begin their search where? The last place that child was known to be, the last place they were seen. When it comes to knowing the living God, those whose hearts are fully set to seek Him must go to the place where He is to be found. Now, we're not speaking locally. I'm not talking about traveling to a particular geographical location. But we're talking about the place where God has chosen to make Himself known. Where do we know God has made Himself known? Or we could put it this way, where was the last place someone found the Lord? The place that He's made Him known, or made Himself known. Reading now from from page 10, How are we to seek the knowledge of God? The answer is foundational to the Christian life. We seek the knowledge of God through prayerful study of the Word of God, the Scriptures. And therefore, he asserts at the end of that paragraph, the Scriptures are the believer's one great source of knowledge. And so tonight we're going to walk through this, what is foundational, what is a fundamental element of Christian doctrine. Uh, I I don't think that anything that we're going to say or cover tonight is going to be news to anyone. But perhaps you'll hear it and hear it in a new light or reconsider it, be, be reaffirmed in it. And that, the, the truth is this, if we want to know the Lord, we have to go where God has revealed Himself, and He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures, in His Word. That's the point. To know the Lord, we must seek Him through the prayerful study of and personal acquaintance with the revelation of God in His Word, the Bible. Now, before we look at the, the, some of the Scriptures that are given... I want to show you how this is stated in our confession of faith. Just to show you that this is uh, foundational, historical Christian doctrine. Reading from chapter 1 of our confession, paragraph 1, and I'm abbreviating here, but, but the confession says that the works of creation and providence... Now, God has made Himself known, and that we call that general revelation... God has made Himself known in the works of creation and providence. But notice that there, we, we don't have a chapter here that says, if you really want to know the Lord, you need to go outside and look at the sky. We don't have that. There are some things that we can know about God, but we confess the works of creation and providence are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary unto salvation. Now what does that teach us? There is a knowledge of God that is necessary for salvation. That's what we're talking about. The the benefits that come from knowing God is salvation. There is that knowledge, but there is also a knowledge of God or, or knowledge of certain realities about God that are insufficient for salvation. I think the Bible is clear that, that all people know there is a God. In that sense, we could say they know God. They, they know things about Him, but that's not sufficient for their salvation. The confession goes on to say, Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times in divers manners to reveal Himself unto His church and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth to commit the same wholly unto writing. Again, I'm I'm abbreviating, but that's the, the meat of what's being said there. Because creation and providence have not revealed God sufficiently enough to bring men to salvation, 
He's revealed Himself in a more uh, particular way through special revelation in, in divers manners, sundry times, uh, various times in various ways. He's revealed Himself unto His church, His people, and then afterward, in order to uh, take that revelation of Himself and propagate it, continue it on, He committed that special revelation unto writing. So we see from a confessional standpoint, the Bible is God's revelation of Himself to His church for our salvation in writing. That's what the Bible is. Therefore, again, if we are going to have this knowledge of God which is necessary unto salvation, then we have to become acquainted with God's self-revelation which is found in the Bible. Now the way, going back to the, the study book, the workbook, the way that this chapter enforces this truth is by showing us first that the Bible is a trustworthy source of study. Then the manner in which we are to use the Bible is put forth. And then it closes with addressing the matter of prayer and how prayer relates to studying the Bible. Now I said when we first began, I'm still trying to figure out how exactly to, to, to bring this material without just reading through the workbook. So what I did was took those three ideas and gave them my own headings. So I'm going to use these three headings to cover the same material pretty much. Uh, first we see the particular or peculiar authority of the Bible. Then secondly, our personal approach to the Bible. And then thirdly, our prayerful attitude when handling the Bible. The Bible's authority, then our approach to it, and then the, the prayerful attitude that we ought to have when handling the Bible. If we wanted to break it up really into two main ideas, the questions are these. How does the Bible come to us? And then how should we come to the Bible? That's what we're going to cover. And again, all of this is in order that we might know God in a saving way. Way. So, number one, the peculiar authority of the Bible. As we've seen, there are benefits to knowing God. There are dangers to not knowing God. And I think when we, when we studied those out, we come to this conclusion that a lot is on the line when it comes to knowing God. This is not a, a trivial matter. The, the state of our souls is at stake when it comes to knowing God or not knowing God. If we're going to know Him, then we are to seek Him and therefore, a lot is riding on our seeking of God, our going after Him. We want to know that the place that we're looking is the place where God can be found, where God was last seen. And so we turn to the Bible. But the question is, how can we be confident that the Bible is a trustworthy source? We can't afford to be wrong here. Wouldn't it be awful to... to come to the end of our lives and find out that the location we had been looking was nowhere near where He was. We know that from our experience. When you've lost something, you spend a lot of time looking for it and you find it in a completely different location. You say, I'm, I'm an idiot. I, I was nowhere near where it was. I would have never found it if I would have just stayed here. Well, we don't want that to be the case with seeking after the knowledge of God. So how can we be confident that the Bible is a trustworthy source? Well, the answer lies, I think, in in answering three questions. And the first is, what is the Bible? I just said it in a, in a sort of a confessional articulation, but I want to answer it from Scripture. And we turn now to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is the first reference that's given. Second, 
2 Timothy 3.16, we're answering the question, what is the Bible? If it, is, if it really is a trustworthy source, we're wanting, wanting to understand the authority behind it, we need to know what it is. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All Scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired is the Greek word theopneustos. We, we want to drop the P. As far as I can tell, we're not supposed to if we're reading it uh, in, in Greek. So if that sounds funny, that's just the way that I think that I'm supposed to say that. Theopneustos. Theo, we know from words like theology, study of God. Theo, referring to God. And then... Uh, the, the next word we, we know as a prefix, in Greek it's P-N-E-O. Usually we see P-N-E-U as in pneumonia, a, a sickness that deals with the lungs or the breath, or if you have tools that are pneumatic, P-N-E-U. That those are tools that work off of an air compressor. The, the, the picture is air, breath, wind. So the word inspired could literally be translated God breathed, breathed out by God. Now, when we read the word inspired, usually we don't think, if we say somebody really inspired me, we, we, that's sort of synonymous with they encouraged me or they motivated me. I think that it, it, if we're going to use that type of language, expired might actually be a better way to think of it. Something coming out, the, the expiration or the the outflowing of or from God, the breath of God coming out. But anyway, any, anyway, the thing that I want you to see is that Scripture, the things that He wants you to see, Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God or God breathed. All Scripture comes from God. God is the source. What is the Bible? The Bible is the Word of God. Now I'm going to jump out of the, the workbook for a second and ask another question. How did we get the Bible? How is it that the Word of God came from God to us? Now they're, they're, to answer this question, we could go really, really big and technical or we can stay very simple. I want to keep it very simple. You don't have to turn to these. I just want to read them. How did the Word of God come to us? Hebrews 1.1 says that God spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets. God spoke to and through the prophets. 2 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 1 Peter one. Verses 10 and 11. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time, listen to the language, the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Again, we could ask, by what means did the prophets prophesy? Well, they prophesied by the Spirit of Christ in them indicating, teaching, informing them, and then they spoke the Holy Spirit. Or we could say the breath of God. 
So then how did we get the Word of God into the form that we have it now, into an inscripturated form? The answer is that the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, spoke to and through men, and then that was put into writing. It was recorded into writing, or the language of the confession, the, the same was committed unto writing. What is the Bible? The Bible is the Word of God. How do we get the Bible? God spoke through men. Now back to the workbook. What is our basic assumption when reading the Bible? If it is true that the Bible is the Word of God, that it comes to us in a way that is completely superintended by God the Holy Spirit, then what is always, 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 always our first and most basic assumption when we open it up and begin to read? What is our most basic assumption? And here we read Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. Now it wasn't long ago that we went through Psalm 12, you, you, but I think most of us know the process. You dig silver out of the ground, it's mixed with other types of rock and metal. So you heat it up. The heating process burns away everything that's not silver and leaves the silver. The picture here is, and, and I don't know that how many times they would have actually done this in the process, but the picture here is, do that seven times. Melt, burn away all the impurities, let it cool down. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Seven times. That's, that's the, the language here. If we, if we took it literally, seven times of this process would achieve more than likely absolute purity of the metal. I think it's probably supposed to be taken figuratively because the number seven represents completion, the fullness, the completion of the purification process. In other words, this, the silver in this verse is absolutely pure, as pure as pure can be. The words of the Lord are pure words, as Silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. Now, you might hear some people will take this verse and they'll, they'll try to use it as a passage uh, or, or a text prophesying the transmission of the text of Scripture through seven levels of correction to then bring forth a final uh, English translation that is as pure as this silver. Well, think about that. What we're saying is when God's Word came out, it had some impurities in some, somewhere, and that had to be purified. And again, and again, and again, and again, and finally, we got the pure thing. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about the words of the Lord as they come out. They are pure words. It has no impurities. It, it doesn't need to be cleansed. There is no real dross in the Word of God. The point is, just like silver having undergone a process of absolute perfection would be utterly free of all impurities, so also the Word of God as given, as inspired by God, is absolutely pure, free from all defects, all errors, or impurities. As Christ said in His prayer to His Father, we, we looked a little bit of it this morning, John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Period. It's true. The Word of God, the Bible, is truth. Truth. So then, this is important, especially for you young people. What is 
always our first and most basic assumption when we read the Bible. Always, never questioned, the answer never changes. The answer is always, it is true. Unmixed truth, period. See, I don't understand, I don't understand this. That's your fault. This story is really kind of hard to believe. That's your fault. It's true, period. Never back down from that, ever. It's true. We never have to worry that we might read something about God and His Word and actually be reading something erroneous. We might see some truth about God, but in reality, the God who is is not really like that. That's not, it, it cannot be. And we establish that not only by what the Scripture says of itself, but that, that is a part of the Christian faith. We receive it by faith. We believe it because the Word says it, period. Can a man live three days in the belly of a fish? It says it. It's truth. I've got nowhere else to go. Well, that just sounds absurd. Then I'll be absurd, but I can't, I can't move from what this book teaches. It's always truth. So then, it is the peculiar authority of the Bible. It comes from God, which gives it its trustworthiness as a source. We can trust it. Because it comes from God, it can be trusted. Because God used men, it can be understood, which is a great blessing. We can therefore read it, understand it, and trust it as a reliable revelation of God Himself. So, that is its peculiar authority. Number two, then, our personal approach to the Bible. The next couple of texts deal with how we should approach the Bible as students of it. Hopefully we all understand that the Bible being the Word of God and God ruling over all in matchless wisdom and knowledge, we do not come to the Bible to tell it what it says or to tell it what it means. We come as students. We come to receive, we come to be taught. We come as creatures confessing that we would have no idea of the salvation of God if He had not revealed it to us. And therefore, the very notion that any, any one of us would approach the Bible with a, a hint of arrogance or pomposity, that we might stand over it and tell it what it means that only reveals how sinfully insane we have become as a race. That people would come to the Bible and, and begin to tell it what it, what it means, uh, what it says, what it should say, etc., etc. That, that's not our place. Why? Because, back to the previous point, it's the Word of God. We come humbly. We come to search it, to seek, and to receive. We could say this in, in two ways. God has revealed Himself in His Word and God reveals Himself in His Word. And that to those who seek Him with their whole hearts. And so the first passage here is 2 Timothy 2.15. And you can turn there. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman, 
who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now we know that Paul is writing to Timothy. He's giving Timothy instructions for the ministry. The standard that's given here is not less if you're not a pastor. We call this a pastoral epistle. We don't read this and say, well, that's what Paul told Timothy, but for me, I can do whatever I want to with the Bible because I'm not a pastor. No, the standard of how we handle God's Word, the standard of our approach to God's Word is set by the object of our study, not uh, by our office. He's not telling Timothy, this is how you should handle the Word just because you're a pastor. No, this is how you should handle it because it's God's Word and because you will answer to God for how you handled it. And that's true for all of us. So notice what it says. And this is again dictating our personal approach to the Bible. Number one, diligence is required. Diligence is required. The the, the NAS says be diligent. Or uh, you might have do your best or study to show. The word is spudazo. And it's translated elsewhere like uh, in phrases like be zealous or strive. It means to work with eagerness in this verse. The eagerness or the striving or the zeal ultimately has to do with how we are going to answer to God. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. In other words, He's looking all the way to the end. Think about the end. Think about standing before God someday. Think about answering to God for how you handled it, how you handled His Word, and be diligent in everything that you do. Work with eagerness so that when that day comes, you're not going to have to hang your head and be embarrassed or to say, you know, I was sloppy a few times. Now, to a, to a man in the a ministry, that's like young Timothy. That, that, that's a horrific thought. But it should be true of all of us. We should all tremble at the thought that we would stand before God and He would say, you ought to be ashamed at how you handled my word. Be diligent. In other words, do all that is in your power to be approved by God in the judgment for the way that you handled His word. So diligence is required. Secondly, work is required. We are to aim at being approved by God as workmen. And the word workman refers to a laborer, usually one that's hired. You're going to pay them for the labor that they produce. In this scenario then, God is like the boss. We are the workers. His word is the trade. His word is the workbench. And we need to think about what it looks like to be a good, hard laborer as we consider and study His Word, which teaches us that seeking God in His Word will require work. It's work for all of us, but especially any man in the ministry, it's work. It does not come by osmosis. It takes brain power. It takes time. It requires tools. Sometimes I'm asked in my home, you know, how how are things coming along or... You know, why, why, what's taking so long with this? Why are you not further along than you should be? Maybe it's Friday or Saturday. I've got a lot of work to do. Well, what, what's the problem? And I, I have to say, I, I don't have an answer. I just don't have, I don't have the product. Uh, 
It's not, it's not uh, uh, something that you can just copy and paste sermon, right? There's work required. And hopefully we all understand that. If we're going to know God from His Word, we're going to have to work at it. All of this, again, I think is assumed in that notion of seeking God with our whole heart. We have to be fully given over to know God through the study of His Word. It's going to require something of us. But we can rest. This is sort of the motivation. We can rest confident in our discoveries, going back to the first point, because it is the undiluted Word of God. When you've done the work, when you've labored, and you, 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 you learn something, you see something, God reveals something of Himself to you, that's, that's the reward. It's a blessing. And, and the reward is there, as we've seen. He's promised. Now, the next text that's given to us gives us a biographical description of a man who did just this, and that's Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now the, the method here is to take Ezra as a good model for all of us. Now again, you'll, you'll, I often hear this type of thing in uh, meetings or, or teaching that is specifically for men in the ministry. But again, I don't, I don't think any of us can say, well, that doesn't have any application to me. He, Ezra is, a, is a, a good role model that all of us should follow if we are going to be good students of the Word. So notice what he did. Number one, Ezra set his heart. So what must you do? You must set your heart. The word set means to establish or to fix, and the heart is a reference to the, the whole of the inner man, the 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 mind, the will, the affections, everything inside. So it must be a settled matter within your own heart that you will be devoted to the work. You have to decide, I'm going to give myself to this. He set his heart. Secondly, he set his heart to study the law. Now we're taking the concept of the law and expanding it out to the more broad application of all inscripturated revelation. But we have to study. Set your heart to study. The word study means to resort to, or to seek with care, or to inquire. And lo and behold, it's the same word that is translated seek in Psalm 105 verse 4. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Here at Ezra, study the law, or seek the law. What, what, what's he doing? It's... it's similar to the concept of seeking that we've already discussed. And so we have to be firmly established in our hearts that we will give a diligent search into the Word of God. And I think that idea is what's being expressed in the verse we looked at last week, Psalm 27, 8, where the psalmist says, My heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. There has to be a firm resoluteness of spirit within us. And I said... But there has to come a point for all of us when we settle it within ourselves which direction we're going to go. 
We can barely mope along or we can set our faces like flint to study the Word of God in order to know Him. And as Ben prayed this morning, it will cost us. You've got to just go ahead and settle it. I will not have what my friends have. I will not have what the world has. I won't go their way. I won't be with them. I won't get invited. I won't be a part of this or that. I've Throw that all away. I've determined my lot will be to know the Lord. You've got to decide that. Every one of us has to come to that determination. And, and it... It's hard. Sometimes it takes a long time. We take little steps. I, I think I'm ready to decide, but then, then really deep within us, we, we're, we're still kind of holding on to a lot of things. We do this in our prayers also. We pray, Lord, help, help me to do this, knowing full well in the back of our minds, I'm actually just going to go right back to what I was doing. But I just want to, I guess this would be like virtue signaling. I just want to say it out loud, I'm interested in heavenly things. But in our hearts, we're not really. We, we already know when this prayer is over, I will go back to the way that I was. And sometimes it is the same when we, we say, oh, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to set myself to it. I'm going to go after it. We say the words knowing full well, tomorrow's not going to be any different than last Monday. We have to recognize that it is the giving of our, our whole selves. We have to give ourselves to this. Set your heart to study, to seek. Thirdly, Ezra set his heart to practice the law. To do the law or observe the law. The same word is used in another text we looked at, Deuteronomy 29, 29. That we may do all the words of this law. That which has been revealed is for our doing. Ezra read, studied, that he might do. And he set himself to it. Now this means more than simply obeying those things which are commands and avoiding those things which are prohibited. To observe all that God has revealed implies that we bring our whole self into conformity to all of it. All of Scripture is not do this and don't do that. There is that. To, to, to do, to observe all that God has revealed means that if it reveals truth, we believe it. If it exposes sin, we repent of it. If it shows us some goodness in God, we meditate on it and we praise Him. We adore Him because of it. Whatever is brought to us in the Word, whatever format, command, prohibition, teaching, truth, we're given to it so that it begins to affect and shape us. Again, this is the logical application of what the Bible is. If it is in fact the Word of God, unmixed and unadulterated, then when it speaks, in whatever capacity it speaks, it shapes us. It changes us. It is like a hot iron. We are like butter. When it comes to press, we conform. We move. Never the other way around. It makes us into its mold. It changes our thinking and our living. We practice it. We do it. We observe it. It fashions us. Hopefully, and maybe I should say this just outright, the things that I'm ascribing to the Scripture as if I'm personifying the Scripture, I am assuming the Holy Spirit of God using the Scripture in those 
in those things. Um, you can read the Bible all day long without the Holy Spirit. It's not going to do a thing to you. Um, I'm assuming that we, we understand the Spirit of God is doing this through the Word. I do want to be clear about that. And then lastly, Ezra was a scribe who taught the Word. That was his, his job, was to teach God's law. Now, for every Christian, as we seek the Lord and study His Word and observe it, the next fruit will be carrying the revelation of God to others in some way. I'll put it that way. In some way. It might be general conversation. It might be in, in, uh, with our children, our spouses, co-workers, friends, family members. Um, some of us, you, you can identify with this. I think this is often the impetus for Christian activity on social media. Reading God's Word. God teaches us something. I've got to tell somebody. People got to know this. People got to see this. I don't care who it is. I just I got to get it out there. I want somebody to know that God's Word says this about this thing. We, and we want to put it out there. This is what happens. And I, I think that this is probably the final step in the process of coming fully under the authority of the teaching of the Word of God in the power of the Spirit. We, to learn and become convinced in such a way that you feel obligated to tell somebody else, to make it known. Now why do I believe that that is a natural or logical outworking? Because it's true of everybody else in the whole world. The whole world in some format is conveying to somebody what they believe to be true. Everybody. Everybody. Because real conviction of what we perceive to be truth or whether it is truth, it always compels us to announce it. Whether it's for selfish gain, whether it's love to others or bringing others to the so-called light. We know this. We, you were talking about a, a friend that you work with. We know people like this that, that will just... They go down some YouTube rabbit hole. They latch onto some nutty thing. And then for the rest of their life, they're like... This, this is my thing. And that's all they talk about. Just because they have become convinced. That's all they can say. All They have to put it out. We're made that way, I believe. And so for a Christian, well, if we are given to the Word of God, seeking God, knowing God, and being taught by the Scriptures by God Himself, it's going to come out of us. And that's what Ezra did as his job as a scribe. He taught, but we will also convey it. So what's our approach to the Bible? Well, we approach it with our hearts set diligently to study it like a miner in the cavern until we've laid our hands on the treasure knowing that we will answer to God for what we have done. I want that to be clear too. God is sovereign over what He reveals to us. Uh, God can reveal things to one and not to another. We're not going to answer for what God revealed to us we will answer for our seeking of Him, what we did with His Word. There, there will be people who stand in the judgment before God and they will be rewarded in ways that others of us could only dream of being rewarded. But if they stood here amongst us and we began to ask them uh, certain things, they might not be able to say very much. They might not come across as very educated or learned people but they, will, they had given themselves to study the Lord and they might 
they have come to know the Lord in a more experiential way that they can't articulate, they can't explain, but they know Him. We will answer to God for what we've done with His Word, not what He has done in revealing Himself. Thirdly, then, our prayerful attitude when handling the Bible. Our prayerful attitude when handling the Bible. The truth of the matter is that when we really need something, we pray. If you're a Christian or you profess to be a Christian, when you really want something, when you really need it, you pray. If we really want to know God through the study of His Word, we will pray and ask Him to help us. Now, one text that's not in here I want to read and you can make a note of it. Daniel chapter 2 verses 20 to 22 Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to Him. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. And the reason I bring that out is to make this point. If there's going to be any discovery of God, it will only be because God has made it known. He's the one who reveals. So what do we do? We just sit and wait? No, if we want it, we pray. We go to Him. We go to where it can be found. Now, the, back to the workbook, Jeremiah 33, verses 2 and 3 are given. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is His name. Here's what God says. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you the great and mighty things which you do not know. The Lord says, call to me and I'll answer. Call to me, I will tell you. We saw last week that God promises to reveal Himself to those who seek Him. As sure as the dawn. He will come to us. That might be one of my new favorite Bible verses. He will come to us. He promises. Here we see He promises to reveal Himself to those who call to Him. How does He reveal Himself? By speaking. Call to me, I will tell you. How do we seek Him? By calling to Him and by searching His Word, His speech. So it all comes together there. The prayerful study of the Word of God. And then a well-known example of such a prayer, Psalm 119.18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And we should pray this prayer in faith with no doubting. God will answer and He will make Himself known to those who call to Him. So then, all of this is just leading up to the study of the attributes of God, but it's just preparing us. The knowledge of God is the greatest of all knowledge. It is the most necessary knowledge with great benefits to those who know Him, great dangers and curses to those who do not know Him, and therefore we must seek Him. Let's turn our whole souls toward Him and diligently seek Him by prayerfully studying His Word. And let's be confident knowing that He is good. He wants us to know Him. Remember the, the, the one text we read? He says, I will let you find me. It's like the, 
he, this might sound irreverent. I hope, hope it doesn't. God is like the worst hide-and-go-seek player that there is. He said, if you come looking, I'll, I'm there. I'll find you. I'll let you find me. He, as we just read from Daniel, the light dwells with him. The only thing elsewhere in the New Testament says God dwells in unapproachable light. God is light. and In Him there is no darkness at all. God is all revelation. The reason that we can't fully comprehend Him, I think this is what Jesus is getting at in the gospel, the reason that we don't come more and see more is because it will expose our works. It exposes our sin. Our sinfulness is the only thing keeping us from knowing all that God has made known to us. It's not like He's hiding. He wants us to know Him. We have to prayerfully seek Him. He'll make Himself known. So let's make sure that as we go through this this study, anytime you're studying the Word, make sure that's your attitude. Let's pray and we'll stand and sing together.